inside out is today's message. You know, in every area and in every walk of life, in every family, every institution, every sport, there are insiders and there are outsiders. There are those, there are those who are insiders and there are those who are outsiders. And for all of us, I'm sure, at some stage in our lives, we know what it feels like to be an insider or we know what it feels like to be an outsider. You know that you don't really quite belong or you don't really fit in that particular situation. But you know, no matter what it is in life, there's always going to be insiders, even with life experience. There are insiders and there are outsiders. For instance, I, I, I don't know what it's like to be a woman, okay? Um, shh, and my, I don't know what it feels like to be a woman, but my wife knows what it's like to be a woman because she's actually had children. I've seen them come out, I don't know what it feels like, I can see, but I've no idea what it feels like to see the world like a woman. I don't know what it feels like to understand or experience the world like a woman. Um, and so also for women, you don't understand what it's like for a man. You don't understand what it's like. And I know that all of the wives here would say amen. amen. Because men don't really understand what it's like to be a woman. They don't see the world in the same way. Men don't see the world in the same way. We're outsiders to the experiences of others. We don't get inside. And there's times when we're inside and times where we're outside. I want to look this morning at a passage in Acts. I'm going to look at Acts chapter 11. Oh, what happened there? I just managed to get myself back to the countdown talk. It takes me 60 seconds to finish the message. <laughs> I want to look at a passage in the book of Acts. Thank you. The Acts chapter 11. I'm going to follow on from where I was at last week because it gets more interesting as you go along. We were looking last week in Acts chapter 10 about how Peter was called to the house of a centurion called Cornelius. How he was called to this outsider, this Gentile, this non-Jew. He was called to be with people that he would never have had anything to do with, would have never associated with in his life. And yet God brought him there and when he was there, he preached the gospel to them and he began to have an insight as said last week that Peter was converted just as much as Cornelius was converted. And while Peter was there, he preached to them the gospel. And here's three things that he said in the gospel. He said, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Would anyone say amen? amen. He went on to say, in every nation, every nation, God accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Amen. He goes on to say that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Hallelujah. 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 And it goes on to say this. It says that even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. And it goes on. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles, non-Jews too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. I love it says that even as Peter was saying that, there was no program, there was no call, there was no response. Just as he spoke, the Holy Spirit fell upon the people that were listening to the word of God being preached. Wouldn't that be a great experience? Wouldn't that be great? Will you stand with me? We're going to pray that we would have that experience in our lives. Amen? Amen? Would you raise your hands at me and we'll pray as we begin this morning. Fathers, we look at your word this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come down upon us, Lord. That it would open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts, fall upon us and fill us with a renewed vigor, a renewed energy, a renewed insight, a renewed power, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Praise Amen. God. And so we're going to carry on. 
That was the setting. He goes to the outsiders. He goes to the guys who had historically been known as the Gentile dogs. And surprise, surprise, they become believers too. We pick up the story in Acts chapter 11 because meanwhile, something is going on somewhere else. This is what it says. It says, as soon as the news reached the control freaks, I mean the apostles and the other believers in Judea, that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and you even ate with them? Like, like for thousands of years, we haven't done this, Peter. We would never do this, Peter. We wouldn't go in and eat with people who are unclean, who are immoral, who are dirty. We wouldn't eat with them. You know you shouldn't be eating with them. You know, sometimes when we get a half piece of information, we can go off. We used to say, you go off half-cocked like a gun. You go off before you have all of the information. I know I certainly have. I've gone off and reacted to things when I only had half of the information. It's an important thing to have all of the information, which is Amen. Amen. And the Lord wants to speak to somebody here this morning who has been criticized. Who has been criticized and who has been judged by someone who only knows half of the information about your story. Who only knows half the story that they're talking about. This is what the Lord would say to you. Stand still. The Lord will be the one who justifies you. The truth will out and you will be justified and God will watch over you and he will vindicate you in their eyes. Because as Peter gets himself into the height of trouble, then Peter does something that the guy should have listened to. First, it says that Peter told them exactly what had happened. He had preached the gospel, and as he preached the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell, and all these people were converted. When the others heard about this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has given the Gentiles, the outsiders, the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life and becoming insiders. Are you with me? Yeah? Hmm. Moving on. Meanwhile, do you know what? There's a meanwhile in all of our lives. You know, we, we sometimes we think we know what's going on in our lives, but it isn't. We don't always see what's going on in our lives. There is a meanwhile going on in every life in this building. God is at work somewhere else, doing something else, lining up something that is perfect for your life, fulfilling his plans and his purposes and his promises for your life. There's a meanwhile going on in your life. Do not become, don't despair, don't lose hope, because God is at work. Hallelujah. <laughs> meanwhile, the believers who've been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death travel far north and they went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch of Syria and they preached the word of God but only to the Jews. They only preached it to their own kind. So off they go, they're spread out. The trouble has happened here. This is Jerusalem here. So the trouble is after starting here. The church has after been scattered in Judea after the persecution and the, the martyrdom of, of Stephen which happened around 36 AD. So we're looking, this is about a year later. So uh, the, 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 the church begins to spread and they go far up north. They go up through Phoenicia which we call Lebanon and it makes it all the way up here up to uh, Antioch of Syria uh, and it gets as far as Cyprus and the word the word of God is beginning to spread but it's only going to the Jews so far so still the insiders are hearing the story but it goes on to say this it says however some of the believers went uh, to Antioch uh, Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene and began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Lord was with them and a large number of Gentiles non-Jews believed 
and turned to the Lord. Something was starting to happen. The message was getting out over the walls. There was an overspill out of the church and it was beginning to affect people living around people who weren't on the inside of the whole story. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, the control freaks back in Jerusalem hear about this. They have an apoplectic faith. They blow a fuse. Can't believe the Gentiles are becoming Christians. And so they sent a guy called Barnabas to Antioch. But Barnabas was a good-hearted man and full of faith. And it says that when he arrived, he saw the evidence of God's blessing. And he was filled with joy. And he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. He looked at it and he didn't go, oh, no, no, we can't have any Gentiles. No, we don't have them in the church at all. No, he looked. He clearly saw the evidence that God was at work and he rejoiced in it. You know, sometimes when God blesses people around you, it's important that you rejoice with them. Amen? Amen. Instead of being resentful and why isn't God blessing me. Why don't you praise God for their blessing? And who knows, maybe you'll get some of the overflow. Amen. Amen. He sees this blessing going on. He's filled with joy. And then Barnabas does something kind of half crazy. This is what he does. He sees all these Gentile, non-Jewish believers. So he goes off. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for a guy called Saul. Tarsus was on a map a while ago near a city called Merson today. So he went with, he went and found Barn, uh, went and found Saul. Why did he go and find Saul? Saul was like the most Jewish guy on planet Earth at the time. He described himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees, a legalist to the nth degree. In keeping the law, he said he was faultless. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a perfect Jew. And this is the guy that Barnabas goes and brings to the Christians in Antioch. What were you thinking, Barnabas? Because Barnabas knew that they had the life, but they didn't have the knowledge yet of God's plans and God's purpose. It's important that we have both, that we have both the spirit and the word. Are you with me? That we have both, that we get both within us. So both of them stayed with the church there for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And I love this next line, one of my favorite lines from the whole New Testament. It's just stuck there as a little hang on at the very end of Acts, or near the, near the end of Acts chapter 11. It says this, it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Hallelujah. It wasn't in Jerusalem that the believers were called Christians. And Christians, by the way, we refer, describe them as followers of Christ, but they actually, Christian actually means little Christs, that they were just, they were reflecting the image, they were demonstrating and living like Christ. They were following the way that Christ lived, following the way that Jesus lived. And it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. And you know why? Because it was a new name for a new people. A new name for a new people. I love calling myself and being called Amen. a Christian. Amen. Hallelujah. I love it because there's a time when I wasn't a Christian. And you are a new people and you've got a new name too. You too are a Christian if you believe Jesus this morning. Would anyone say amen? amen. We're a new people. You say, Michael, that's what are you getting so wound up about? Because this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. He had an argument with the Pharisees. They were discussing... Uh, actually, no, in the first instance I'm going to use is this. He has healed the servant of a Roman centurion. I mean, come on, the, the oppressors, Jesus has healed his servant. And then when he was criticized for that and Jesus saw his faith, he said, I haven't seen faith like this before. He was amazed. And then he said something that shut his critics up or really annoyed them, really annoyed them. He said this, he said, I tell you this, many Gentiles, non-Jews will come from all over the world, from East and west they will sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven no to any Jew listening they go 
Who do you think you are? It is the Jews who will sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs, the fathers of our nation, the fathers of our faith. They are the people for whom this feast is being prepared. And you're saying that these dirty, filthy dogs, these outsiders are going to come and sit at the same feast? And he goes on to say something even worse to them. He says, but many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping. They will be thrown out. The insiders will be thrown out. And the outsiders will be brought in. Hallelujah. The insiders out. Outsiders in. Hallelujah. You were an outsider, but now you're in. Hallelujah. You were once an outsider to the kingdom and the purposes and the plans of God, but now you're an insider. And you, you are an insider because of what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. Amen. You with me so far? Okay, let's continue on. Let me look at this. This Jesus also has another argument. And he has another argument. This time, he has an argument with the Pharisees. And the argument this time with the Pharisees is about the keeping of the law. They want to know why is it that you are not as legalistic as the other Pharisees are? And why is it that your disciples aren't fasting all the time? And why aren't they fasting like our disciples fast? Remember, they were purely legalists. And Jesus said something to them that actually stopped them in their tracks. And this is what he said. He said, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. There has to, if it's new wine, it must be new wineskins. And Jesus is saying something here that happens on three levels. On the first level, he's talking about the kingdom of God. There has now been a change from the old covenant with its rules and its laws and its regulations was now all over. It is past. It is done. It is fulfilled. It is finished. We're now in the period of the new covenant. Remember when Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant? What was in the cup? Wine was in the cup. Fruit of grapes. Are you with me? Can you see the connection? Can you see the connection? So this is the new period of time. And this is what Jesus is saying. This new covenant, my new deal with my new people will not fit into the old system. It'll burst the old system. And why was that? Because when you've got new wine and you put it into a wineskin, as it fermented, it begins to expand. And so the kingdom was going to expand beyond the old system. Are you with me? So it's beyond the old system. And as it expands, what's it going to do? It's going to burst because the old covenant and the new covenant are incompatible. They don't work together. The old rigid rules don't work together with the new way of grace. The old way of law is ended. The new way of grace. Grace has come. You can't put one into the other. And then it happens on the church level. So the new wineskin, it works on two levels. First, it works on the level of the church. The new wineskin into which the kingdom of God is expanding is the church. Hallelujah. That's us, by the way. That's us. That's us. It's expanding. The new, new wine skin is the church itself. And it is expanding. And because the wine in it is expanding, it's overflowing. And no people who are on the outside are coming inside. And the people who are on the inside are going out. Are you with me? But it works lastly on the personal level. And this is probably the most important level. Because if, well, it's at the last level, it actually is the foundation to work its way back through the other levels. And that is it works on the personal level. In the individual. The old way of living is not compatible with the new way of living. Whether you are a legalist or a hedonist, 
The old way of living does not work with the new way of grace and love. Are you with me? The old way of living your life is not compatible with the new way that God has called you to live. The old way of living, the old wineskin, if you will, the way that you rigidly live your life, looking after yourself in the main, will no longer work because that cannot expand to take in the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Yeah. It can't. And of course the other obvious one is the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit does not fit into a legalistic system. It will not work. We need new wine in these new wineskins of our souls. Would anyone say amen? Yeah. But then he says something really weird at the end and you may have read it a few times ago. What on earth does he mean by that? Because it's kind of confusing and this is what he says. But no one who drinks the old wine Seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. It's just fine. And the problem for us is this. When we look at old wine, we think, oh, this is a vintage Chablis from Chateau Bonjamarc in southern France. Yes, it's absolutely wonderful. You, you know, we think of old wine as being flavorsome or full of flavor. But old wine in their culture actually turned to vinegar. That's what happened to it. Old wine actually got worse as it went on. The new wine was sweeter to the taste, nicer to experience, much more refreshing. Hallelujah. Can you see the picture of the Holy Spirit? Can you see the picture of the good news of the gospel? It is refreshing. It's sweet. It lightens the soul. But the old system was vinegary and it was bitter. And yet for some people, they tasted the old vinegary way of life and they said, actually, I prefer the vinegar. I prefer my old way of life. I prefer my old way of living. I prefer being an insider over here rather than being an outsider. I prefer the old way that I used to live my life. I prefer the old way of living my life and doing the things I wanted to do. It's just easier than living this new way of love and grace. You go, what, really? Yes, really. He said, he said, but, what, but the one who drinks the old wine seems to not want the new wine. The old is fine. It is grand. What's wrong with this old Jewish system? It's, just, it's working just fine for me. But Jesus has something more. Jesus has something more because he is building a new church from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. It's no longer going to be just for the bunch of insiders. We who were all outsiders have now become insiders in the kingdom of God. And inside in a church like this, you see an incredible diversity of people from an incredible and diverse background. We have people here all the way from Trinidad to Thailand. We have people here from Ukraine to Uganda. And as I said earlier, we have people from Ballyfihan in Cork to Baltimore and West Cork. We have them ever, Baltimore and Maryland, wherever you have in yourself. We have people from all over the world, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation united in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 See, there's a problem and I want to talk to you for one second about what I call the dilemma of diversity. Do you know that every single one of us is unique? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Every one of us is unique. You were knitted together in your mother's womb in an absolutely unique way. And we are all diverse. We're all different. We're, we're all different, different types of people. But the current culture tells us that we must respect diversity at all costs. Whatever that diversity is, Whatever that uniqueness that's in your life is, whatever nature that diversity and that uniqueness takes hold, we must respect it at all costs. And not only must we respect it at all costs, we must respect the try, the, 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 the rights and the privileges that come with our unique and diverse identities. So whether you are a man, a woman, a he, a she, a we, a they, or them, or the dog outside, you must respect that person's unique, diverse identity. 
And the idea is that when we do that, we end up respecting everyone's truth. Everyone's truth gets accepted. Uh, but there can only be one truth. Amen. We said it a while ago. Tom opened the meeting with it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. There can only be one truth. But we're asked to accept everyone's truth. No matter what they say about themselves or what they're like. So if I decide tomorrow morning that I want to announce and say, Lads, from Monday I'm identifying as a black man. <laughs> See? It's laughable, isn't it? But from now on, I want to be known as Mustafa Kenji, okay? That's what I want to be known as. When you see me afterwards, you can call me Mustafa Kenji. That, that, that'd be my name. No, I'm only kidding. I cannot possibly... So here's my, here's my diverse and unique identity. I'm a white Irish man, but I'm kind of white and kind of yellow and a bit red and all sorts of things. But I'm white and I'm a former redhead. I used to be. I used to have red hair down to my shoulders. I really did. And so therefore, you have to respect my individual unique identity. Even if you're bald, you can't criticize the former foxy people because that's like, that's hurtful, your words are violence. The problem is that as we go about our business, there are landmines being laid and you end up misgendering or dead naming someone and you are going to be killed for your mistake. But the idea is if we respect everyone's diversity and unique identity and we make room for everyone's rights, we'll all just sing Kambaya and we'll all make a happily ever after, united in our humanity. Hallelujah. But uniting in our humanity doesn't always work, as you might know from the history of human civilization. It doesn't always seem to work. What actually happens is we end up killing each other. That's what actually happens. You see, the problem is, is that if I have to respect all of your rights, and your identity and your diverse and unique understanding of yourself and you have to respect all of mine eventually the numbers of rights the numbers of identities the numbers of inclusions the numbers of identity uh, identities and diversities is eventually going to implode it will collapse under the weight of its own uh, contradictions are you with me yeah. Because people will be in competition, because your rights will compete with mine. The, ball, the rights of the Baldies will compete with the rights of the Foxies. Yeah. Now who wins? The Baldies, I knew it. I actually saw that there was a case in Australia recently where a bald man won a case for sexual harassment. So from now on, Tom, you will never be sexually harassed from this stage again. The idea, it's, it's a, but the thing is riven with contradictions because all of those rights, because for me to give way to your rights means to impinge on my rights. Are you with me? When the Bible says this, it says, For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no, no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is true kingdom of God diversity. That's the real deal. Now, does it mean that people from a Jewish background no longer have a Jewish background? Not at all. Does it mean that people who are Gentiles or who are Greeks, in actual fact, the original says Greek. I know we have one Greek. John, you're the Greek. You're the representative Greek. Sing Nanda Mascori or Eat Moussaka, whatever it is that the Greeks do. God bless you. So John is the, and what's even worse is he's a body Greek, so he's doubly blessed. Uh, there's neither, no slaves, I'm sure that none of us know slaves, however though statistically there's approximately 40 million slaves living on planet earth today, living in slavery. Approximately 40 million, just for the record. So there still are slaves. So you're neither slave nor free, nor male nor female. Doesn't mean from now on, there's no men and there's no women in Grace Christian Church, we're all just androgynous! 
Androgynous means neither male nor female, in case you're just wondering, in case you haven't cut number. No, it doesn't mean those things at all. It doesn't mean that our differences don't occur at all. But what it does mean is this, that our identity as male, female, Jew, uh, Gentile, free-born, um, self-educated, uh, uneducated, black, white, Asian, whatever, they're all overarched by a higher and a newer and a truer identity, that of being a Christian. That of being in Christ. And the whole point is this. This is God's intention. That his community would be the most diverse community on planet Earth today. You are sitting in the most diverse community on planet Earth today. And it is God's purpose and it's God's plan that's going to bring it to pass. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me, let me go to the, to, 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 to the end of this. Let me go to the end of this. Do you see my point about the diversity and the problems that it will generate? Because do you know when the scripture says um, one another. Has anybody heard the term one another being used in the New Testament? The New Testament term one another. Do you know how many times the terms one another are used? Let me give you an example. Do you know we often say we sing happy birthday because we are a let me try again. Let's do a bit more enthusiasm. I know you don't. I know we don't have to love everyone you know, but we do. We sing happy birthday because we are a family. Excellent. We're a family. What on earth do we mean when we say that? Well, the Bible is full, or the New Testament is full of the term one another. Fifty-nine times in the letters written to the Christian churches, the term one another is used. So we are told that we should live at peace with one another. Amen. Thank you, Cambridge. <laughs> We are told that we should wash the feet of one another. Amen. Moving on. We're told that we should pray for one another. Amen. Forgive one another. Amen. Be patient with one another. Amen. Submit to one another. Amen. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Amen. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Amen. Don't lie to one another. Amen. We're told that we should serve one another. Amen. We're told that we should forgive one another. Build one another up. Show one another hospitality. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Amen. Amen. That's for everyone in the room. We're told that we should accept one another. Hallelujah. Honor one another. But above all, and this is what's always going to be missing outside of the church. Whether you're a member of the Manchester United Supporters Club, or you are a member of, and I better be very careful with this, you're a member of some political party that I shall not name, or the member of some political movement, or some social movement, here's the thing that we'll miss. 14 times we're told in the New Testament that we should love one another. Because that is what you will not get in the diversity that exists outside the kingdom of God. You will not get love. Hallelujah. And it's the overarching quality that binds all the other qualities of patience and encouragement and building one another up and greeting one another. That's the one that binds them all together. But why on earth are we all in this one big diverse community? Let me tell you why we are in this one big diverse community. This is what, this is what the writer, Peter, who wrote to these very same churches, Peter, who was in our story, he wrote to these very same churches, and this is what he said to them about the Christians. He said, you, you are a chosen people. The chosen people used to be Israel, but now he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his 
wonderful light. Hallelujah. That is why he brought you into this people, so that you could declare the greatness of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You used to walk in darkness, wrote Paul, but now you walk in light. Hallelujah. In him was light, and that light was the life of men. Hallelujah. And then he goes on to say this. This is my favorite bit, because this, is, this includes me as well. It says, once you are not a people, but no, you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but no, you have received mercy. Once you were outsiders, but no, you are insiders. And the job of the insider is to make other outsiders insiders. Are you with me? That's the task that God has called us to. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to start off by singing the song, just the first verse. Take these hands. Hallelujah. Take these hands. I know they're empty, but with you I can be used for beauty in your perfect land. All I am is yours. You know, when we were young, when I was young, we used to have this phrase we would say about somebody who was good and had a particular skill or was very good at something they'd say his hands were blessed by the Pope of course their hands weren't actually blessed by the Pope it was just a phrase we used to use but you know there's something in that when we sing the song take these hands are we saying to the Lord Lord take these hands bless them and use them for your work and for my good and for your purposes and give me your favor if you want to say to the Lord this morning Lord Will you take my hands? If you want to say, Lord, take my hands and use them. Would you raise your hands to heaven for a second? I'm going to invite you to do something just slightly more than that. We do this all the time in grace, so it's okay. I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray for you and just touch your hands this morning. And pray God's blessing on the work of your hands literally and physically this morning. So as we sing, I'm going to invite you. If you want to raise up your hands before God and say, Lord, would you use, use my hands for your people, for your plans and for your purposes. Would you make your way to the front and we'll pray together before we close in prayer. Let's pray. Just so I'm just going to do a wrap up prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you, Lord, that you have called us for a purpose and for a plan. Lord, I thank you that you've called us as a new name and a new people, Lord. We pray, Lord, we raise our hands before you and ask you that you would bless the work of our hands. Lord, you would prosper us and prosper the work of our hands. Lord, that you'd show us favor and show our work favor and our homes favor, Lord. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would fill us with your new wine again, Lord Jesus. Refill us, Lord Jesus, with something that is fresh and that is sweet, Lord. Give us the opportunity this week, Lord, to declare the praises of him who called us on the darkness into his wonderful light. Hallelujah. Lord, would you watch over us? Would you keep us, keep our families, and bless us? In Jesus' mighty name and God's people said a final. Amen. Amen.